Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting recommendations from your friends for that perfect diet might be a big waste of time. The real answer is already within you, your genes. What are the best foods based on your DNA? What foods have the nutrients that you need? How quickly do you metabolize caffeine and alcohol? Don't guess. Use the code Verlander for $20 off of a Geno Palette DNA kit to find out how to eat for your genes. He swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field, it is gone, home run, and a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Flippin' Bats with your host, Ben Verlander. A great one today. An absolute stud is joining me. One of the guys in that rotation out for the Dodgers, Walker Bueller, is joining the show but you guys know the deal. We start off with some storylines. Then we have our guests join us. Walker Bueller will be joining the show this week in Otani News, as well as the voicemail questions, the hotline where you guys call in, ask me all sorts of questions, voice your displeasure, whatever it may be. And of course, the six tool player of the week. And also something else we've been doing. I've been reaching out to you guys via social media, on Twitter, asking some poll questions. So have another one of those this week for you guys uh, where we talk about National League pitchers this week instead of American League. But let's get right into it with the storyline that I wanted to talk about this week. All these young hitters on the leaderboard for home runs in the league. This is what I want to talk about. The direction that Major League Baseball is going in. And I could not be more excited for it. Look at this leaderboard of home run guy, guys in the major leagues, leading the league in homers. You got Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., Jesse Winker, Adolis Garcia, and Shohei Otani. I don't know if I could draw up a better list. Maybe Mike Trout, if he's not injured, being on this list. But other than that, this list is incredible. It is the future of the game. And I was talking about this the other day. Looking at this list, I get so excited for the state of baseball, for the future of baseball. All of these guys are so young, the majority of them under 25 years old. Otani, 26. Garcia, who I also want to talk about, is the oldest of the group at 28 years old. Let me talk about Adalas Garcia. You know how many home runs in his career he'd had before this year? Zero. Not a single one. And he is on an absolute tear this year at 16 already to this point in the year. One of the coolest stories in all of baseball. Then we have Jesse Winker, who just joined this list, by the way, coming off of a three-homer game uh, this past weekend, which is what this, li this list uh, runs up through Sunday night. This was the leaderboard in all of baseball. So Jesse Winker got himself on that list, hitting three homers in the game for the second time this season. Let me give you a little stat. The last time that a left-handed hitter 
has had multiple three home run games in a season was 20 years ago. Barry Bonds. Anytime as a left-handed hitter, you're doing something in the same category as Barry Bonds, you're doing something right. So that's an incredible stat. Uh, he is the sixth player of all time, sixth left-handed hitter of all time to accomplish this feat. So pretty cool on his end. But look, I wanted to talk about these young guys. And that is the point of this segment is talking about this list and the young guys that are on it. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, Otani. The state of baseball is in such a good place to have these guys being so young and moving forward in the direction that the game is moving. Because I've talked about it a lot. I've talked about it a lot, that the game of baseball just feels different this year. It just feels different from having all these young talent that we've had around the league for a little while, but this year feels like the takeover. This is the takeover of the next generation of baseball. And look at this leaderboard. You can't tell me otherwise. And you guys know I'm obsessed. I love Shohei Otani. And to have him on this list as a pitcher as well, so sick. But you know, this list got me thinking. If I were to start a franchise and had two guys to pick that are under 25 years old, who am I going with? A bunch of these guys are under 25. You got Vlad, you got Ronald Acuna, you got Tatis. You have some other guys on, that aren't on this list that are great. Juan Soto. The list could go on and on. So it really got me thinking, who would I take as a GM to start a franchise right now? I, I feel like for me the answer is Fernando Tatis Jr. at shortstop and Ronald Acuna Jr. out in the outfield. And a big reason I'm making that decision is look, and, and I totally think Vladimir Guerrero Jr., to this point in the year, right now, has separated himself as one of the top hitters in baseball. But this list, I'm thinking about more than just, just hitting. Shortstop, a premier position. Center field, a premier position. You want defense up the middle of the field. And to have those guys, to have a guy like Tatis and Acuna up the middle would just be insane. So if I'm starting a franchise with two guys under 25, the fact that they're under 25 years old and doing what they're doing, if you guys aren't excited about the state of baseball and the direction it's heading, then you've been living under a rock. Baseball is in such a good position for the future, and we should all be so excited looking at this list and looking at who's on it and how old they are, because it sure as hell pumps me up. So let's get in to this week's guest, I wanted to invite him in, Walker Bueller, the starting pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, an absolute stud, fresh off a World Series appearance last year and currently on a team that is, they're going to get back in the playoffs. This guy's a stud, so let me walk, welcome in Walker Bueller. Walker, thanks so much for joining me, man. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm great. So, not to put you on the spot, but right off the top, we got some trivia and there's a leaderboard for this show, and, you know, let's just see right. how you do. You got 60 seconds, all right? Yep. All right. Ready? Let's go. Who's your first MLB strikeout against? Charlie Blackman. Yep. First MLB batter faced? Carlos Gonzalez. Ooh. First MLB home run allowed to? Mark Reynolds. First MLB win against? Philadelphia Phillies. Number of pitches you threw in your first MLB start? 78. 89. Jersey number for your Ooh. debut? 64. Yep. Who relieved you in your first MLB start? 
Jimmy Garcia. Ross Stripling. Who's your? Where was uh, your first away game? That I pitched in. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Maybe Philly. Uh, Sam Fran. Who's the opposing Francisco. the opposing starting pitcher in your first start? Uh, I don't remember his name. I can see him. All it right. was against the Marlins. I don't know that one. That's it. That was uh, Jarlin Garcia. Yeah, that's right. That's a that's not you know that's a tough one to remember. All right. With the Giants. I yes. Pretty good there. You were on a you were on a roll, and then you know then you fell off. But you know fine. Um, it got tougher. Um, so Walker, you went to Vandy. And I was looking at the roster your freshman year, and we know so many of the same people. Connor Harrell, Kevin Zomek, Adam Ravenel, Tony Kemp, Mikey Ostrimsky. I mean, mm -hmm. just a great bunch of guys won. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that team um, and what, you know, Vanderbilt is such a dominant pitching program. I feel like it sets you up better once you get to pro ball, um, because you were around a bunch of guys like that and, and were part of a rotation in college that was so good. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing is, is when you're around guys of that kind of quality consistently, you're going to push each other, right? And, and in pro ball, that's, that's kind of what happens. You know, you're, you're with a guy that is a, you know, a, a prospect next year and you want to pitch well. And, and being on a team like that in college, I think, sets you up well to, to A, handle that, and B, learn how to still be a good teammate throughout that, I think. Yeah, so there's two guys there now at Vandy, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter. One, you know, talk a little bit about those guys, but I'm going to put you on the spot and say if you're a big league GM and have the first overall pick between those two guys, who are you going to go with? <laughs> oh, no, they're both, they're both extremely talented. Obviously, they, they kind of profile a little bit differently, right? Kumar is a big physical guy more of the the two pitches or, or now he's had the little cutter in between so kind of three pitches with a change up sometimes but lighter is kind of the the typical you know pitchability over over stuff but but obviously he has big boy stuff as well so um you know it's it's kind of interesting going back to, to when we were playing there um reminds me a little bit of, of Carson Fulmer and and myself and that Carson was big with the breaking ball and the big heater, similar to Kumar, and I was kind of more of the pitchability guy. But uh, I think Jack has, has better stuff than I did at that point for sure. So <laughs> I'm going to have to be a little biased and, and go with him. But obviously, I think whoever gets Kumar is going to be extremely happy as well. So I know what the relationship is like with your teammates in college. It's so, you know, it's just different. You're, you're like a family in, in college. And, and part of that family your freshman year was Mike Yastrzemski. And now you guys are in the same division and, and playing against each other. What is it like to face him on the field? And then, like, are you guys battling on the field and then going out to dinner later that night? Um, you know, somewhat. If a schedule will allow it, I don't think that's something that we'd be opposed to. We tried to set it up and, and then kind of mess it up last time we were in San Francisco. But, you know, guys, guys that played at Vandy, we all seem to kind of keep in contact, especially when we're playing against each other um you know dp and i getting to play together now and, and then they have a bunch of guys over there so um kind of interesting it, it happens to be a team in our division but we get to see them a lot <laughs> and, and i i think that you know the more you pitch against a guy the, the less of a, a teammate they are so i, I remember the first couple times i faced yeah there's a little bit of uh 
like hesitation or, or whatever. You don't feel like, you know, of anybody, you don't want to hit that guy in the head, right? But, uh, you know, as, as time kind of goes on, I think they get a couple of hits off you and that, that stuff kind of goes away. <laughs> Um, so, and, and I talk about this a lot cause you know, one, it's the highest level I experienced. I never got to the major leagues. So I bring it back to the minor leagues a lot and you know, it's baseball is unique cause it's really the only sport where everyone goes through it. Everyone goes through some sort of minor league system and you pick up a ton of stories and a ton of memories along the way in the minor leagues. And, and what is, what's something, uh, in your mind that sticks out to you from your minor league career? Some, some story that you have that'll stick with you forever. Oh, uh, I do remember uh, Springfield Double A, where you're in the Texas League. I remember we we're supposed to drive home. It's only like three hours back to Tulsa from there, so um, kind of nice travel that whole league. And a tornado sort of ripping through, so <laughs> we ended up having to stay at a different hotel than we had stayed in, like ten miles closer to Tulsa in Springfield an extra night, then drive the next morning, play the next day. But the the different reactions that you'll get out of guys at, at different points in the season when they're struggling or we're struggling, a lot of guys just wanted to roll right through and, and kind of take our chances, I think, more jokingly than, <laughs> than anything. But um, there were a few guys that were not afraid of that tornado at all. <laughs> so then, you you know, you, you get to the big leagues and, you know, you're now, you've been here for a few years and having a successful career this far and, one thing you do and, and that everyone talks about uh, is that you wear tight pants. But what I want to ask you about is Gavin Lux, who decided yep. to, when you started to wear tight pants, when, when, when did you find this out? Were you like out there and you're like, wait, why is Gavin wearing tight pants? Like, what's, what's his deal? No, well, I mean, I will confirm they are mine. So I, I did have to have part, part of that. I had some input in that process. So uh, Gavin obviously is a, a special talent, but was, was struggling a little bit in the beginning of the year. So I told him, listen, I wear these cause they make me feel athletic. You know, they make me feel big. So why don't you give them a go? Maybe it'll make you feel a little <laughs> bit better out there. He tried them, didn't hate them. And, and then I think they kind of got left in his locker and, and I, I guess he rocks them when I pitch. I didn't know that he was going to start doing that only on my start days or, or for sure on my start days. But we were just trying to give him a, a different look and, and kind of kickstart his hands and, and his head a little bit. So, um, no, it's worked out well for him. He's gotten hot and, and started playing really well for us. That's what I talk about a lot, man. Baseball is so mental. And at any time, you can do anything to get your head off of what you're focusing yep. on. You'll be just fine. So I, I know you get asked all the time about the tight pants. But one thing I want to ask you is, have you ever been asked at a worse time than in the NLCS after a loss, somebody brings it up? Is that the worst that's ever happened? Yeah, I, I think the only time that, or the only way that could have been worse is if it was on a later later round of the playoffs maybe. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty tough. I, you know, I know Michael pretty well, Duarte and um, you know, he likes to ask the, the little funky questions and stuff like that, but, um, uh, yeah, it just wasn't the, wasn't the time and, and wasn't the place for me. Um, so you're, you're now a part of the most dominant, ridiculous rotation in baseball that involves you, Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, David Price is there, Dustin May, unfortunately out now, but I want to ask you 
about each pitcher and something that you've learned from them. So, and and I'll start with you know the goat, one of the goats, Clayton Kershaw. Um, what's one thing that that you've learned from him that sticks with you? Um, you know, I, I think he's the the guy that I would say has kind of taught me how to be a pro and and go about dealing with the season and, and the ups and downs and things like that. Obviously, um, you know, I don't know how publicized it is, but Kershaw's routine is is something kind of to behold and, and a special thing in, in terms of how long he's done it and in the time and investment that he puts into to being what he is. So being able to watch that, I, I think is the biggest thing for me. And then you have sort of a different relationship with DP, David Price, because he's a Vandy guy and very vocal about Vandy and going back. So I'm sure you had met him before, b- before you guys are teammates. What's one thing uh, from him that, that you've learned? Yeah, the, the biggest thing with DP is I finally got some backup, right? I, you know, I, a lot of the guys are, are tired of hearing about, uh, you know, college. And, and Kirsch makes me refer to it as pre-pro ball. I'm only allowed to say college once a day. Uh, but now I've, I've got DP there as some backup. So, you know, outside of the on-the-field stuff and, and kind of watching him do his thing and, and deal with, you know, the, the little injuries and things that he's had this year and, and how he's handled that, obviously, is, has been – you know, as, as good as somebody can handle stuff like that. But, um, you know, having some backup has, has been the biggest thing for me. And then you have a new guy come over, fresh off a Cy Young Award, um, that I don't, you know, I don't know if you knew him well before he came over. What's one thing uh, having him on the team this year that, that you've enjoyed? Yeah, I knew Trevor a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say super well, but, but knew him and, and spoke to him every once in a while. But you know, I think the biggest thing about Bauer is just the, the attention to detail. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people that make this big thing about all the, the wacky stuff he does or, or whatever and, and his routine and the weighted balls and all that. And, and that's all well, well and good. But I think the biggest thing is just how he can quantify all these things to himself. And he, um, you know, takes certain measurements and, and things like that to, to kind of know where his body's at and, and trust those numbers more than his feel, I think, sometimes, which is interesting. That's that's not how many guys do it in our game or or have in the past. But at the end of the day, he's doing the same things. He's just he's just doing it more detailed and and learning that and watching that has been really cool. And then and growing up watching baseball and being a huge fan, I grew up and and fell in love with baseball and watching Mark Pryor. And and he's now your pitching coach. What what has that experience been like? Because I'm sure growing up you got to watch him too. Uh, so what's it been like having him as your pitching coach? Yeah, there, there's kind of that aura still when you when you first meet him, right? He's still Mark Pryor, maybe the, the biggest prospect that, that ever was and, and did some unbelievable things in the major leagues as a player. So to have that kind of experience and, and things like that has, has been awesome having him with us and, and him kind of learning and growing with us as well, right? It, it's his first big league pitching coach job and, and to be handed um, the, the staff that we have and, and the guys that he's been able to help develop with Julio and, and Dustin and Gonsolin and some of our younger guys and, and myself truly. So, um, and then to also have Clayton Kershaw and, and Rich Hill and Hunjin Roo and, and guys that he didn't have to do a whole lot with, I think has been a perfect storm and, and super beneficial for all of us. So you got to pitch in, in a world series uh, against the Rays recently and you obviously an incredible series and, you know, one game that sticks out, uh, to, in everybody's mind is the game that Blake Snell got pulled. You guys come back, you guys win. 
that's the series. Um, and I heard you say about it before in an interview that sometimes to a fault, when a pitcher, when a coach comes out to get you, you'll give some some brushback, and you'll you know you'll kind of give them a little bit of an argument. Is there is there one time that sticks out to you that um, maybe you went a little too far, or is there like one thing that really sticks out that you've done in the past? Um, I don't know. They they do a pretty good job of of kind of you know sitting me down and, and making <laughs> sure I kind of know my place and and whatnot, but. You know, they'll let me get a little emotional and then say, hey, like, you're still coming out of the game. But, uh, no, that was an interesting thing that, you know, the way that they handle their pitching and, and things like that. Obviously, I don't want to get too deep into it. It's kind of gone and gone now. But, you know, they, they had so much success in, in how they operate. And, um, you know, a lot of people want to criticize them for doing something like that after the fact or, or after we score a couple of runs. But, you know, that's how they got where they were. And, and you know, we, we like to think that, that we played well and, and we're able to win. So then this year, you guys have one of the best rosters in the history of this game to start the year. And obviously, you guys go through some injuries. Cody's back now. Um, Dustin May's out for the year. But still, one of the best rosters of all time. And then some news comes out a few weeks ago that one of the greatest players in the history of the game, Albert Pujols, is going to be joining the Los Angeles Dodgers. Were you guys in the locker room as surprised as the rest of the world that he was coming to your team? Um, I don't want to say super surprised. Obviously, we, we trust our front office to, to kind of go and get guys and, and plug them in when we need to. And, and with the injuries that we had had, we, we needed kind of that you know, stabilizing kind of force, and, and we were playing poorly. And, um, you know, I, I think his kind of aura and, and energy – coming over and you know Albert's a Albert's an awesome guy to have in the clubhouse just the way that he kind of moves and operates and and communicates has been awesome and you know that guy's been in a lot of clubhouses for a long time so um you know we started winning some games after we got him and and Yoshi and and we've enjoyed having both of them around I'll tell you the way Albert moves slowly a little slowly is there (laughs) is there um so when he comes over obviously one of the greatest of all time um, but with a, with a locker room that he doesn't really know. Um, and it happens in the middle of the season. So is there something like when he gets there that he sits you guys down and talks to you in the locker room? No, you know, we, we got pretty fortunate. Our, our third base coach, Dino Ebel, had, had been with the Angels for a long time and, and knew Albert really well. And, you know, obviously some of our older guys have played against him a lot and, and know him, you know, kind of from on the field stuff. But uh, one of our infield coaches, coordinators, Jose Viscaino, knows him really well. So I think he had some some familiarity with with some of our guys, maybe less so with our players, but um, with our coaches for sure. And um, I, I think it made it probably a little bit easier for him to to settle in. And and I think him not having to leave his house and, and drive up from Orange County to LA every day is <laughs> is a little bit different than having having him live in some apartment somewhere across the country. So. I think it was kind of a best-case scenario for, for him and for us. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You have achieved a feat that not a lot of people do, and it's winning a college World Series and a Major League World Series. I mean, we talked about it a little at the beginning, how it's kind of a different culture um, in, in, in college. So what was... Um, you know, what What was it like winning at both levels? You know, like people can't relate to winning a college. Really, people can't relate to either. But a lot of people can't relate to winning both. So talk to me about winning a college World Series and, and the difference in winning a Major League World Series. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's some similarities, right? You've got to have good players and, and your good players have to play well at the right times and, and kind of step up and um you know, I, I think all of that kind of starts from from within a clubhouse and creating a culture. And, and at Vanderbilt, that's a that's a huge thing. Um, super emphasized, super talked about our culture and, and the way we want to handle ourselves and, and treat each other, treat people on the street, right? And, and in pro ball, there's probably less of that. But I think in LA and in this clubhouse, that's a big thing, especially when you're led by somebody like Kirsch and, and Doc, for that matter. So you know, we, we create this culture and, and try and stick to that. And, and everyone has a role and, and knows what they do. And uh, at the end of the day, ended up playing really well at the right times and, and kind of battling back from, from the three, one in Atlanta and, and then getting it done against Tampa. So, um, you know, I think the culture and, and the atmosphere inside that clubhouse is a huge part of, of both of those, but certainly different when, when you know one's in college and, and it is what it is and you've got guys that are never going to play again and, and then you you do it in in the major leagues and and you're the world champions is is kind of a, a different thing so um both obviously extremely special and um something that that i'll never forget which dog pile was better after after the last out Oh, we did. You know, in in the COVID times, we didn't really. Yeah, I know you did. I was wondering ever. about that. I mean, obviously, you get the last out of the World Series. It's awesome, but it's kind of like, what? Are, like, can we can, can we celebrate this? And uh, you know, I, I I am sad that we didn't get to, but but part of me is extremely happy that the dog piles. I think I've been a part of two or three are some of the scariest things <laughs> that you'll ever go through. If you get in the wrong spot in that dog pile, man, it, it's one of the worst. Um, so you're, uh, we, we've talked about the rotation that you're a part of now. What is it like, uh, pitching in the middle of that rotation and having, you know, it doesn't let up behind you in front of you. Is there like a competitive nature to pitching in that rotation? Like, all right, Kirsch just went out and threw eight scoreless. Let's see if I can top that. 
Yeah, I think there has to be, right? I think that's that's part of the culture element, right? We've we've had that here before with Rue and Rich and Kirsch and Woody and Strip and you know, a, a lot of guys have, have had success here and, and this is just kind of a, a new iteration of that. And obviously with Dustin, you know, out of it, it takes him out of it. But at the beginning of the year, you had five guys that were, they were all throwing the ball well. Well, four guys probably with the, with the exception of me, I, I wasn't throwing it very well. So, um, you know, obviously Julio has been a guy that I've kind of grown up with and, and come up with. He actually beat me to the big leagues, but this is our first year kind of being in the rotation at the same time for a while. And, um, you know, it's, it's just fun. Obviously Bauer brings a whole different kind of energy and, and enthusiasm for, for what he gets done. And, and then Kirsch is kind of the, the classic stoic veteran, but, um, you know, I try and find myself somewhere in the middle of those two and, and go out and throw the ball. Well, one of the best rotations of all time, not including yourself, you get to a game seven of the world series, who gets the ball? Not including me? Not including you. Any pitcher or guys on our team? On your team. Um, I don't know who's starting that game, to be honest with you. Obviously, you know, Kirsch and Bauer, and, and those are the kind of guys ahead of me, right? But, you know, what Julio did in the playoffs last yeah. year is, is hard to kind of overlook. So uh, I think it would probably be some combination. Obviously, the later in the year we get, um, the more we do that kind of stuff. So I guess we'd all probably just throw a couple innings and, and then let Kenley come in for the ninth. Yeah, Kirsch to Walker to Bauer to Julio isn't uh, isn't the worst combination in the world for yeah. a game seven, that's for sure. Hey, so on, on Twitter during UFC fights, you get very active. Where did your love of UFC start? Um, you know, I've, I've always kind of been interested in it and – you know, weirdly enough, I, I met a comedian named Theo Vaughn that I, I kind of started following his stuff um, and got to meet him. And, and through that, started listening to some podcasts and then got into Joe Rogan podcasts and all this stuff. So it was kind of a, a weird rabbit hole that, that started with Theo Vaughn. But now the past couple of years, I, I've definitely gotten pretty big into it and, and started watching pretty intently. And, um, you know, I think this this COVID thing and, and the way they handled it was was probably the best of any of the sports kind of yeah. getting back and, and figuring figuring out how to be safe and, and still put on events. And, and I think I think for a lot of people, that's probably the first time they sat down and watched a UFC fight. And, yeah. and for me, it, it certainly was a time that that I started watching them a lot more intently and, and more often. And, um, you know, I just think it's a cool sport. I think all the different elements of it and, and the the different strategies that guys have. I think it's cool. And uh, definitely excited to, to watch some of the fights coming up. They also did it so well because they just bought an island and, and went out into the middle of nowhere and started fighting there. Who are, who are some of the guys, uh, you mentioned some fights coming up, who are some of the guys you're looking forward to watching and, and who are you know some of the guys that got you into it when you first started getting into UFC? Uh, yeah, Israel Adesanya obviously is, is the big one coming up that I can think of, the, the McGregor-Poirier fight I'm excited for. Um, you know, I think one of the one of the coolest parts about the UFC is is not – you don't have to have the guy that you want to watch fighting right. every week, right? Conor McGregor doesn't fight every week. Um, and you can still watch and enjoy it and, and become a fan of a, a couple new guys while you're doing it. So uh, Michael Chandler coming over I, I think has been pretty cool, obviously, him – losing this, you know, a couple of weeks ago was, was kind of tough, but 
I think he's been a cool addition to to the UFC and um, him being a Nashville guy or living in Nashville. Yeah. I've got some people that, that have met and, and interacted with him and, and seems like a pretty quality dude. So um, right now, probably him and him and Izzy are, are my two favorite guys. Who's one player on the Los Angeles Dodgers that would transition well into the UFC? Ooh. Um, I've got kind of three. We, we have this conversation, right? The, the three guys on our team that you'd want in a bar fight with you, right? Uh, that's kind of a class one. Two of them are now retired, but I, in their prime, I would take uh, David Freeze would be up there. Russell Martin is, is extremely, surprisingly flexible and athletic. Okay. Um, and then my third would probably be Joe Kelly. I, I think he's got the body. He could probably fight in a, in a small weight class, but um, you know, we've seen what he's done in, in some of the brawls. So um, I, I'd take Joe Kelly for sure. So one thing I ask everybody when they come on is some career moment sort of questions. Um, so I want to ask you your first one. What was your welcome to the MLB moment? Um, you probably asked me about it already. The Mark Reynolds Grand Slam. Uh, my second second career outing, I, I remember. <laughs> I think I threw him like seven straight fastballs. I couldn't throw strikes. I had no idea what I was really doing. And, and I threw him a fastball in. He hit it. I thought I broke his bat, screamed loud in excitement, and it went over the fence. So um, that one that one was the, the moment <laughs> I kind of realized I was, I was dealing with a different animal than, than I had in the minor leagues for sure. What has your most memorable play been on the field? Um, memorable play. Uh, I do remember some of the things Keith Hernandez was, was doing in, in my first start in the big league. So in 2018, I remember he kind of spot started at shortstop and, and made three or four of the, of the best plays to this day that, that I've seen made, you know, behind me. So I, I think those are, are probably the biggest ones, um, that, that weren't kind of through my eyes, I guess. And a moment that has stood out to you in your career that has taken place with teammates off the field. Ooh. Um, honestly, th this bubble thing that we were in last year was, was pretty interesting. I, I kept telling my fiance, like, this is like summer camp for me. Like, I love this because we were so close and, and you, you know, our hotel rooms are next door to each other for a month. Um, everybody's wives and girlfriends and, and whatnot are there and kids. So um, the, the bubble situation in Texas was was obviously a challenge in, in a few ways, but one of the more memorable things that that I think I'll ever go through. Hopefully we, we never have to do it again, but it was uh, it was pretty cool. What would you guys do? Is a lot of video games played in the bubble? Like what do you do in the bubble? Yeah, there, there was a lot of video games. We were actually on kind of on the green of, of a golf hole down there in, in Dallas and they wouldn't let us play golf, but we would we would kind of stand and, and chip and make one guy run out there, <laughs> grab a couple of the balls and bring them back. But no, it's cool to wake up, walk outside. You know, you've got six or eight of your teammates out there eating breakfast and, and sit and hang out and chip a few golf balls and, and then go and try and win a playoff game. So um, that was a that was a good time and, and obviously we kind of thrived in that in that situation and um, no, I enjoyed it. All right, before I let you go, Joe Kelly, you got as your fighter that would transition best into the UFC. Over on the Astros, Carlos Correa hosts 
a MMA UFC sort of podcast. Who you got? Those guys love each other. Who you got? Joe Kelly, Carlos Correa, head to head in the UFC battle. Um, I don't know. Size size is a big deal, but uh, you know I'm not gonna not go with my guy. So <laughs> I, I still think Joe Kelly. You know he's taking on bigger guys. He's taking on uh, what was the guy's name? Tyler Austin back in the day. Yeah. So um joe kelly fight club is is alive and well <laughs> walker thanks so much for joining me man i really appreciate it uh good luck the rest of the way and, and come back on whenever i'd love to have you back absolutely man thank you of course yeah all right thanks again to walker for joining me what a great guest let's get right into the hotline baby my favorite part of this show where you guys get to be a part of it so again make sure you are calling that number 213-537-9339 to get in your questions, and let's start with the first one. Rick, hit me. Hi, this is Emily. I just saw that Team USA qualified for the Olympics. Are we the favorites to win, and what are your thoughts on the roster? Uh, yeah, thanks for the question. So Team USA has qualified uh, officially for the Olympics. Uh, super excited about that. Are we the favorites? Uh, I would have to say we are. Look, look at how they played in, in these qualifiers. And you look at, you look at the roster, um, and one thing you cannot, you can't have a guy on a major league roster or a 40-man. So if you're on the 40-man roster or, the, or obviously the, the big league roster, you can't be on the Team USA uh, or, or any nation's roster for that matter. So we have guys like Todd Frazier, Matt Kemp, David Robertson. Uh, when you look at our roster, it is set up to win. You look at our roster and, and it's full of ex-big league guys, fringe big league guys, some minor league guys. It's really good. Uh, and we, have, we absolutely dominated the qualifiers, outscoring the opponents in, in four games by a total of 29 to 10. Uh, just ran right through it, dominated every game. So I have, to, I have to believe this Team USA is going to be the favorites heading into the Olympics. And look, that's not uh, I would say that's a rarity to, to some extent. And you would think that we would dominate the Olympics, but, but first off, baseball's back in the Olympics for the first time in a while. Uh, it's, it's in Japan, uh, where obviously they have a huge baseball audience. Uh, so I'm really excited it's going to be back for the Japan Olympics. But baseball hasn't been in the Olympics in a, in a while. And when it was, Cuba was dominating. The Cuban team was absolutely dominating uh, the Olympics. And I, I think it's going to be really cool to have a, a good Team USA team involved uh, and to hopefully win it all because this roster is built for that. And uh, as of now, Cuba hasn't qualified. They, they didn't qualify. I think there's still a chance for them to get in. Uh, but this Team USA roster is built to win, built for success. Uh, and it's going to be really fun to watch them. Uh, come time for the Olympics in July and early August. So, Rick, hit me with that next question. How you doing, Ben? This is Pablo Avila in Houston, Texas. I'm a huge Astros fan, and my question for you is, so the Astros have been struggling to start the year in regards to their bullpen, but just now they have a healthier roster in the starting pitching lineup. Do you think that the Astros starting pitching getting as strong as it is now going to carry them into the postseason or do you think that it will eventually just be the hitting and the amazing lineup of, of hitters that we have from top to bottom that's going to get the Astros to the playoffs thank you very much for answering my question Ben uh, perfect thank you so much for calling in 
Look, I don't think no matter how you draw it up, they are getting healthier on the pitching side, but this team isn't built around the pitching. I don't look at the Astros' uh, pitching staff as a whole from, from the rotation through the bullpen and say, this is an elite pitching staff. It's not. They've gotten healthier, which is going to be huge for them, having Jake Odorizzi to put in that rotation, having Fromber Valdez back, able to put him in that rotation. And then what they did, which I actually think was very smart, is, is move, um, move guys to the bullpen. You know, you, you, look at, you look at the rotation right now. You look at having Lance McCullers and Zach Greinke at the top. That's a great, great top of the rotation. Uh, so to have more depth in it, I think is going to be huge for them. But to be able to move a guy like Christian Javier from the rotation to the bullpen, look, I don't think he's a bullpen guy, but they need it. They desperately needed somebody, and they still do. They still need to add somebody at the back end of that bullpen because it's just it just hasn't been getting the job done. So to answer your question, what is going to get this team to the playoffs is going to be their offense. The offense is, is elite and has been all year. Uh, they're you know, if not the top, they're at the top of the league in runs scored, average, uh, so many offensive categories, they're at the top of. So this team, make no mistake about it, is built around this lineup. The lineup and the core guys of Altuve, Bregman, Correa, Brantley, Jordan, those guys right in the middle of that lineup, that's what makes this team elite, and that's what's going to get this team to the playoffs is the offense. So thank you for the question. Thank both of you guys for the questions. I love this segment. I love having you guys call in and just shoot me whatever you want, really. So make sure you're doing that weekly at 213-537-9339. Voicing your displeasure with your team, asking me any questions you want. I always really appreciate it. But now it's time to get into another segment that I absolutely love. And you guys know by now that I absolutely love this guy. My mom called me last week and asked if I had a man crush on Shohei Otani. And the answer is yes. So let's get into this week in Shohei Otani news. Look, the guy did it again. He went out and pitched this week, struck out 10 guys against the Seattle Mariners. So let me, let me explain this to you. The guy's going out and hitting every single day at this point in the year, which is awesome to see. But every fifth day, maybe every fifth or sixth day, he's going out there on the mound and giving the Angels quite the performance. And this week... He goes out against the Seattle Mariners and punches out 10 guys. I mean, the stuff this guy is featuring right now, and, and we saw a little bit of a dip in velocity from him the start before, which, which worried me a little bit. Anything, anytime you see a, a big dip in velocity, especially from a guy like Otani, who you just automatically worry about with injuries, I get concerned. He goes back out this week and dominates. Velocity's back up a good bit. Uh, but look, this splitter he's throwing, and this is the result of so many of these strikeouts right, that, that we're seeing from him, the splitter is disgusting. This guy is an animal, and to watch what he's doing on the mound in itself is cool. But you know what this guy did the next day? He went out, he was in the lineup, facing a lefty on the mound, and hit a bomb the next day. He hits a homer, off of a lefty, 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 lefty homer to dead center to put him back up on the American League leaderboard in homers right at the top. I think that homer actually tied him 
for the league lead, the American League lead in homers. Vlad then hit another one. Vlad's going off as well. But look, I can't stress enough what he's doing. He goes out and punches out 10 batters the night before. He goes out the next day and lefty-lefty stays inside of a ball and hits it out to deep left center. How are we not all obsessed with this guy? I am. I'll tell you that much. It's absolutely incredible. And to see him on that list of league leaders and homers and to also see him going out and punching out 10 guys on a night-in and night-out basis, not the first time he's done that this year. Guys, that's why we have our own segment about him because he is doing newsworthy things every single night. He's the reason I tune in to watch the Angels every night. They don't even have... Mike Trout right now, the best player in the world. But they have Shohei Otani, and he's extremely exciting and doing something on a night-in and night-out basis that you all should be watching. So make sure you're watching him. But let's transition into something that we've started doing. And if you don't follow Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter, make sure you're doing it. Because now we're asking you guys questions. Every week we get out a poll. We started with the best AL pitcher. And this week, we went with who is the best NL pitcher. But a little bit of a caveat here. I feel like we all know who the best National League pitcher is. There's one best pitcher in the entire world right now, and his name is Jacob deGrom. So, for the sake of this poll and this argument, we did not include Jacob deGrom because we can all agree that he's the best pitcher in the National League. So what we did is we asked you guys, other than Jacob deGrom, who is the best pitcher in the National League? These are the guys we put up on the graphic, Trevor Bauer, Max Scherzer, Brandon Woodruff, and we also put a someone else category as always. Look at the results of this poll. Max Scherzer, 28.3%. Trevor Bauer, 28.9%. Brandon Woodruff, 21.8%. And someone else, 21.1%. It is tough to run a poll on social media and to have it this close from top to bottom. So Trevor Bauer wins this poll by mere percentage points over Max Scherzer. But what I want to do is talk about the someone else category. Who could it be? Who's in that someone else category that's getting a lot of the votes? I'll tell you who it is and who it should be is Kevin Gosman of the San Francisco Giants is having an insane year. He's a big reason this Giants team is in the position they're in. And I've talked about it before. This isn't a fluke to have the Giants where they are. What they're doing is they're pitching great. And Kevin Gosman, who just hadn't quite figured it out in his career, has gone out there and figured it out for the San Francisco Giants. And it's awesome to see that out of him. And I also think a guy like Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals has to be getting some of these votes. The guy was having, is having an awesome year. He's, at, he's, he's down right now on the 10-day IL. But look, his stats have been insane. But look, if I'm looking at this list, if, if I'm taking one pitcher from the National League other than Jacob deGrom, because I'm obviously taking him, if I'm taking one pitcher to go out and to win a game and who I think is the best pitcher in the National League, I'm going to go Max Scherzer. I think Max is, all in all, the best pitcher in the National League. Now, if we change it to say who's the best pitcher in the National League right now, again, other than Jacob deGrom, it's Brandon Woodruff. Brandon Woodruff. What those two guys in Milwaukee are doing, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, what the two of those guys are doing is remarkable. 
Absolutely remarkable. So I love this poll. Poll. Make sure you guys are following Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We do a lot of this stuff now, a lot of interactive stuff. So if you're not following there, make sure you follow the Flippin' Bats Pod account. We do stuff like this weekly, put out graphics, and then we talk about it on the show. So make sure your vote is heard. But now let's transition in to the six-tool player of the week. And man, it is about time. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is this week's six-tool player of the week. Look, I have a lot to say about this guy. What Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is doing this year, after coming up and having the hype that he had around him, which was, I don't want to use the word unfair, the hype he had around him, but it was astronomical, the hype he had, and he just hadn't quite lived up to it. He had been a decent big league player up until this point, but you know what he did this offseason? He went in, he lost a bunch of weight, he got himself into a very athletic shape, and he has taken off this year at the top of the league in home runs. But something else I want to talk about from him, and something else, you you guys know this by now, the six-tool player isn't a guy that's just going out and hitting homers every night. You got to be doing something cool. You got to be making the game exciting in some way, shape, or fashion. Let me tell you what Vladimir Guerrero did this week to earn himself six-tool player of the week. He hit a triple, the fifth triple of his career. He dives into third base. He gets up. He does this cool smile and thumbs up. You don't think of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and think of triples, but he had one this week, and it was awesome. And also what he did this week, he beat out an infield single, all right? So Vladimir Guerrero, you don't think of speed, really. He had a triple. He beats out an infield single, and he was running 291 feet per second down the line 30 feet per second in the big leagues is elite Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is pretty close to that elite speed beating out an infield single uh, getting some triples but again hitting bombs having fun around the bases flipping his bat that's what makes him so exciting. That's what makes Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this week's six-tool player of the week. And I certainly believe that he will be back on this list because he's fun. And so are the rest of these guys that were on this home run leaderboard. The league is in good shape, my friends. And I'm super excited for the future of Major League Baseball. And that does it for this week's episode of Flippin' Bats. What an absolute blast. I wanted to thank Walker Bueller again for joining me. Uh, This has been awesome. Walker Bueller Bueller for sure has some good luck coming his way because the good luck that has been coming from this pod has been insane. I don't know what's happened, but you come on this show and you do great. And that's all there is to it. So make sure you're uh, subscribed to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're following on all social medias, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, where the episode debuts uh, via video. Uh, And thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you next week on Flippin' Bat.